How many of you love Jesus? Say amen one time. How many love uh, Bill and Amy? Will you say amen? Boy, what a joy to be a part of today, and I am so excited about what uh, we've already seen and what God's going to say to us through His Word. He was talking about uh, uh, serving the Lord as a pastor. Uh, pastor Bruce, isn't it exciting to be at this stage of our lives? And they, well, let, the, let the young boys handle home, you know. We get to travel and be a part of these ordinations and see God working in the church. And I'm, I am so grateful for the privilege to come up there. Uh, you might remember that it was my first trip uh, to preach uh, north of the Mason-Dixon. Uh, I was a southern boy born and bred. Uh, somebody said, southern born, southern bred. When I die, I'll be southern dead. I mean, I, I was one of them. And Bruce said to me at a conference in Melbourne, Florida, I'd preached a simple little sermon on dwelling at Jesus' feet. And he said, <clears throat> well, Brother Tom, he said, I, I feel, in fact, God is prompting me to have you to our church. It was almost like he really didn't want to. He, he had to do it, you know. And uh, so we came up, and I, I made jokes. You know, I would send, uh, in those days, VHS uh, uh, cassettes up there of Andy Griffith so they could understand what I was saying uh, when I got up there. But the truth is, it was a... It was a joy to meet them and build friendships and relationships. Good heavens. We've had so much fun. It felt like a reunion when y'all started coming in the door. First thing I thought about when Brick walked in was that cotton-picking singles deal we did at Gold Lake, Michigan, where we sat and watched uh, Napoleon Dynamite and laughed like crazy, man, with those young adults. It was just coming out, and we were, we were cool right with them, man. It was, it was something fun, and God moved in there, too. It was just wonderful, and Jim, it's good to see y'all. And, and uh, boy, what a, what a blessing to be a part. Uh, Werners are here. There they are, back there. I mean, what kind of friends would make set their schedule to make a trip, be a part of a day like this? Lifetime people. People that'll be there when everybody else is gone. Those are the ones that show up in a moment like this. And so, congratulations. Congratulations to your parents, to your kids, for being a part of a glorious call of God on your life. Uh, I was thinking the first time we met, of course, was at Salt Trail, and I have fond memories of you there, and then when you moved with the team over at Green Garden uh, to later become Jackson Creek, and then uh, the way God's given you, this is cool, a front row seat to different kinds of church models. It's pretty important, because here's the good news. God is working all around us all the time. His word that he just talked about, you don't have to do it just like I like to do it. I mean, I appreciate it if you would, but if you don't, it's okay because the word of God is, get, is going forth in power and God's raising up churches all over the place. And it's pretty exciting as we travel to see the unique way that he's raising up churches all over. And I, I celebrate that. Somebody said, Tom Wagner, he's not very selective. And it hurt my feelings at first. And then somebody else said, you know, if a dog comes through town barking about Jesus, Tom will throw him a bone. And it's true, I will. I'm for it. I'm for Brother Robert. I, I, I'm pumped up about these guys. I wish you could have sat in the room with us yesterday because the tears were flowing. And not just from Bill. You've got pastors in this church that have a heart for God and for this side of Orlando. And it's, it's going to be fun. I'm glad we got to be here early on because it's going to be fun to come back one day when those curtains are gone and there's more chairs or one day when the Lord gives you a facility because I see it in your eyes. I also see the humility of men of God who are working in the marketplace all week and then coming here to serve you. I told him today, 
when he picked me up at the airport. I wonder how many business professionals there are within 10 miles of us right now that would love to know there's a church where men and families are doing it the way you guys are doing it. And getting the word out is going to be the key. But I'm excited about what God has for you, and I'm really pumped about preaching the Word of God. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. My task today is to, to uh, challenge the candidate and the church. So thank you, Pastor Robert, guys, for the privilege of being here, and I'm, I'm uh, pumped up about it. Let me tell you my story real quick. I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You know anything about the economy in Winston-Salem? <laughs> Winston's or Salem's, y'all know anything at all about those things? Uh, do they even smoke in the state of Florida anymore? I mean, when I was growing up, everybody smoked. Grandma smoked, either dipped one. She had a little dip in all the time, a little bit in the corner of her mouth. She was wiping it out all the time. But I grew up in Winston-Salem. My dad was lost. Mother was a believer. Uh, my father wanted nothing to do with the gospel. He wanted nothing to do with any preacher or anybody else coming to our house to share Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with any of it. My, both my brothers, we were given a chance on Sunday morning to either go with Dad, and they had a lot more fun at the beer joint where he hung out. I mean, they had stuff, cool stuff like pickled eggs and pig's feet, stuff like that. And they had this uh, game where you could slide this little disc, and these pins would go up, and you could play it for like a dime. And you get a few drinks and some guys, they'll give you all the dimes you want, man. I, I was telling you, they would, they would, we'd have lots of fun. But I would go with my, my brothers would both go, my older brother and my younger brother. But, Bill, I didn't go because I, I couldn't escape that tear in the corner of my mother's eye when she would say, boys, will you go with me to church? Now, we didn't go to a church like this where there was joy and, and uh, friendship and passion and power in the Word of God. No, we was in a little dry Baptist church where if anybody turned a page in their Bible, everybody turned to look, you know, because they made noise in the church. But I went with Mother because I, uh, I loved her first. But then I heard about Jesus, and I fell in love with Him. And that changed everything. I remember just uh, as a young boy at 13, I would watch preachers, follow them around. And, uh, you know, I'm glad your pastors have, have had great role models and good Christian homes they, they've been raised in. But ours was not like that. So when I went to church, I'd watch the preacher intently. If we had a guest speaker, I would follow them around. I mean, it's kind of weird, but that's all I've ever wanted to do. I'm in my element right now. I'm having more fun right now than I've ever had in my whole life traveling and serving churches. And God is blessing all of We're We're in the same boat here, and we're having the time of our lives. But 1976, time to make some decisions about my life. I remember laying in the floor. Do y'all remember shag carpet? Anybody here old enough to remember shag carpet? Younger people say, what, Shag? Don't say that word in the church. But, but we did. It was like that thick, and it was red in my room. Why mother put red shag, shag carpet in there? I don't know. But I remember laying down on the floor, praying and crying. I had a Bible in front of me, and I'd say, God, I feel like you're calling me. This is all I've ever wanted to do. However, I'm going to lose these friends. I have decisions to make. And just as clear as anything, I believe in Scripture confirmation. I was turning through the Scriptures and praying. It was like the, the Lord brought a rhema of truth. Just a little, a, just a truth for me, a personal word for me right out of the word. And here's what he said, Bill. Acts 26, 16, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things which I will appear unto you. I'm asking God to give every man of God that I have a part of their ordination a scripture like that that you can cling to when you're weary, when you're overwhelmed, you come back to the word of God because just like you said a moment ago, it will stand the test of time. Well, some uh, are claiming today, and I'm disturbed about it, ticks me off, 
that all believers are called. We don't need any specific calls. All are generally called. And I know you can read passages like First uh, Peter 1, and, and it appears that you know we are called. And as believers, we're called, before you get saved, we're called to the bleeding side of Christ to come to Him in faith. Then after that, there is a call to general service. But let me give you a, define, a definition for the call. And I'm not just preaching to Bill this morning. I want to talk to each of you. Because I believe God has a divine purpose for every one of your lives. And you're either going to seize your divine moment or you're not going to. It could well be that somebody in this room, God has a plan beyond what you could ever imagine if you were willing to say yes to Him. Here's my definition of a call of God. It's a divine impression that establishes direction for your life. A divine impression. You could say it like this. It's an impression. An impression from God that establishes direction for your life. Bill said, as a little boy growing up at Sauk Trail and, and hearing the man of God preach and watching the missionaries come through and, and sitting there in this Sunday school class with those men of God, and, and he just observed it at home, watching all of this unfold. He, uh, he felt a drawing all through those years. You know, when God calls, uh, dis- choices have to be made. Obedience has to be chosen. Anything else rejected. Uh, we discern God's call by the confirmation of His Word. I heard somebody say a call happens and has significant life-altering ramifications. It is an inner impression, an inner impression boring to the core of your soul, charging you forever. It's a deep inner work, that a deep emotional encounter with God. A call often unsettles or overturns life for you. <clears throat> I like to listen to the wives talk about that. <clears throat> the call of God means things are going to be a little different in our family, while at the same time producing deep inner peace and uh, satisfaction. Let me give you this in a definition, then preach my text, and I'll do it very briefly. There's the universal call that every believer has to service. Ephesians chapter 4, God calls us, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, the universal call to Christian service. All of us are called as children of the Most High God to follow Him in service. Number two, and that would be teachers and plumbers and, and attorneys and doctors and carpenters and, and laborers uh, of every sort living out the gospel uh, in their life. Number two, there's the general call to ministry leadership. And Luke 5, 1 through 11 talks about this when Jesus asked Peter to come and follow him, and he'd fish for men. Uh, and so we see the, not only the universal call, but the general call to leadership. But then, Bill, there's what we experienced <clears throat> this weekend and what we're calling you to, and that is the specific call to ministry service. It's kind of like the scene of Jonah in the Bible. When God said, okay, I'm calling you. Here's exactly what I want you to do. It's a call to a particular ministry, and it's pretty cool when a person or a church responds to that call well often God calls the the anonymous and often the inconsistent and sometimes the unexpected and it's a it's an unusual ride but it's a wonderful life and I would never change not one ounce of what God has done with us this morning uh, I, I would preach this little title if you want a title it is when God comes to call this scene is amazing to me for several reasons. 
we were we were asked at the Southern Baptist Convention of the state of North Carolina invited our son Stephen and I. He's a pastor of a more progressive church. Uh, he believes the gospel, but he's a little different than Daddy. And uh, invited him and us to a to a uh, open forum. And they ask a bunch of questions and the kind of church model that he has. He said, well, we have a uh, missional community model, house church. And I said, well, that's great. It's great. When they ask me, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? You know, I don't have a cool new name for what we have been doing for 38 years. And so when they asked me the question, I said, well, I would say ours is a glory model. Well, what's that mean? Well, the glory of God is the essential presence of God in all of his splendor as he reveals himself to man. And Central, since the day I got there in 1984, has been seeking the presence of God, seeking the glory of God. We don't want to take God's glory from him. He doesn't share that with anybody. We just want to be around where he is. We want to see him at work. When God is at work, amazing things begin to happen. And so looking at this text here in Isaiah Forgive me, these allergies are challenging me, maybe because of this warm, uh, balmy weather y'all have here in the state of uh, Florida. But I want you to see some things on the call of God, and I want us to look closely just for a few minutes at this scripture that we're all very familiar with and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us from this truth. Father, use your servant, use your word, and speak to us. God, call someone here. Call someone to you in salvation. Today, Lord, if they're not born again. May today be their day that they say yes to you. And then, Lord, there may be someone sitting here like Bill who's been struggling with the call of God. And may they surrender themselves to that call today in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. You know, of course, in the in the um, let's see, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, about chapter 26, there's a scene of Uzziah who, by the way, when he died, it got the attention of the whole nation. This was a man that they highly regarded. They respected him. He had been a great warrior in battle. He'd been a part of the creation of all kinds of new uh, things that were going on, like almost like technology of that day. He was a creator. He was a, a leader. And so when he died, it moved them, but they all remembered what happened when he blew it. You see, Uzziah was blessed by God to the point where everybody began to magnify him. Instead of magnifying God, instead of giving God the glory, he got filled with pride. And in that moment, he offered an offering that only the priesthood were to offer. And the Bible says, while he's yet offering it with pride in his heart, leprosy began to break out all over him. And everybody saw it. And he feared, and he, he went and ran, and he, he had to stay by himself for the balance of his life until finally he died. In this moment, uh, we, we see the relationship that Isaiah, the prophet, has with Uzziah. He, he loves him. And so when he died, God gets his attention. You know what I think, Bill? I have to say this to you, and I'm going to say it to everybody in this room. One of the reasons I think God brought to our attention the death of Uzziah here as he begins to call Isaiah to a good, important work is this. That pride will destroy a man of God. Pride will destroy a king. Pride (coughs) will destroy a husband. (coughs) Pride will destroy a wife. Pride will destroy a family. And pride will destroy a church. How many of you remember what the Lord said about this? He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and you'll be exalted in due season. You might say, it's kind of humble us being here in this school building. Good heavens, what are you talking about? God built this multi-million dollar facility for you. He knew one day you'd be here. You don't have to pay for it. They even brought mission flags for you all over here. I thought we was having a missions conference or something. Hey, we have nothing to hang our head down about. I'm a child of the Most High God. And some of you are tired of hearing me say this because you hear it all the time, but you're so loved by God, you have no idea how favored you are. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a billfold, your photograph would be in it. You know why? Because you're the apple of his eye. You're the object of his affection, and so am I. I'm so grateful to God for his, his call in my life. How dare I get lifted with pride thinking I have anything to offer? Somebody said years ago, the way down is, or the way up is down. Let's look at this call of God for a minute as we, as we study this moment when God uses an illustration to get the attention of His prophet. And the Bible says, in that moment, He saw the Lord. Woo! You talk about, you know, James talking about getting in an atmosphere where you feel the presence of God. That's pretty awesome. I like being in those atmospheres. But can you imagine what it was like for him when he got a glimpse of the Most High God? The Bible says God was sitting on His throne, which is where He is now high and lifted up, the train of his garment filling that temple. And above it, by the way, God always calls and does a great work when he shows up in power. When the presence of God is revealed, then somebody's going to get saved or somebody's going to be called. He's doing a supernatural work. Above it stood the seraphims, above the throne stood the seraphims. These are the, the created beings of God for the purpose of worship. Now look at this. This is good. Each one, I heard some old preacher say this when I was a boy, and I never forgot it. He said each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And I'm so glad that old man said this because it's helped me so much through the years. He said two-thirds of that man's life, his worship, was, was, for, was for worship. He covered his face. He covered his feet. Only one-third for work. We spend all our time trying to work for God when what He really wants is us to spend time loving Him and worshiping Him and glorifying Him. And then when we're full of God and we're glorifying Him, guess what? Our work doesn't have near as much. don't have to work near as hard. When we're in the presence of God and we're enjoying His glory, then a few words get the job done. Oh, I love that little scene right there of the, of the two covering His face and two covering His feet. And with two, he did fly. Too many preachers I know trying to fly before they've covered their face. And by the way, you know when someone's covered their face, and you know when they're trying to impress you with their flying. I've been around enough of those guys. Junior Hill said some preachers, don't you be one of these now, Bill. He said some preachers could strut sitting down. I think he's right about that. Now, the Bible continues, and look at what he says. Verse 3, and one cried to another. This is what they've been doing all through the ages of eternity. They've been crying to one another. Look at what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His what? Ooh, the glory of God. You know what I want for Bethel? You know what I want for that, new, that victory church down in Jacksonville? You know what I want for Salt Trail? You know what I want for Central? And every church I get to serve, I was in the First Baptist Church of Mayadown, North Carolina last week. I'm going to be at Coastal Community Baptist Church and then head to Massachusetts and Vermont the week after that. You know what I want for every one of those churches? The glory of God. 
we've seen enough preachers. We've heard enough singing. We need to see God. And when we get a glimpse of God, it changes everything. You know what people in this city need? They need to come and see and get a glimpse of God. And when they get a hold of the glory of God, everything changes. Oh, my goodness. I'm hungry for and thirsty for God. In this way, the glory of God, the whole earth is full of His glory. And the post, look at this, the post of the door moved. While he's saying this, everything starts, no thanks, appreciate it though, starts moving. The post of the door starts moving. You say, this is a little weird. What would you do if the room started moving a little bit? I know what some of you are saying. I'd be out of here. Let me, let me tell you something. We have so dismissed the supernatural. Can I tell you, God does not operate in the seen. The Bible says the things which are seen are temporal. Temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. God operates in the unseen. I want to find out what God's up to and get in on that. Even if I can't see it with these eyes, I want to see it with the eye of faith. The post of the door moved. Don't discount everything that's going on. When God started moving up in uh, um, Wilmore, Kentucky last year, by the way, I went up there. You've heard people shoot all that down. Uh, What I saw was different than what people shooting it down saw. I saw a genuine, I saw elements of revival. I saw God at work. When the Lord started moving then at Cedarville College, you see that president went over there and he was kind of looking to see something negative, but instead he saw the Lord. And he got a hold of it, went back to Cedarville, took a chapel service and the glory broke out, Brother Bruce, over at that school. And then from there in some local churches in the area. And then from there, Auburn University. You ever heard of that? And then from there, Baylor University. Now, did revival extend as long as we wanted? Heavens, no. Were there some crazy people around? Heavens, yes. There always was in every revival when you study it. But that doesn't mean God's not at work. God's getting the attention of a generation. And it's all because he wants to be the one that gets the glory. The voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, look at this. Woe is me. Hold on a minute. Wait, wait a minute, Isaiah. That ain't your, that's not your mantra. What have you been saying? Take your Bibles and look back at chapter 5. <coughs> eight times he says, not woe unto me. Look at what he said in verse 8. Woe unto them that lay house to house and field to field. He's talking about materialism. Boy, he's quick to criticize everybody in chapter 5 till he gets a glimpse of God. Look at what he said in verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. And he goes on to talk about hedonism or pleasure seeking. Woe unto them. Look down a little bit further, verse 18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity. This is the sin of rebellion publicly, right in front of everybody. Look at verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. This is the sin of relativism. It may be wrong for them, but it's not wrong for me. Woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them. And finally, he gives the big one in verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. In other words, the sin of pride. Woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them. Until he sees God. When he gets a glimpse of the Lord, high and lifted up, and that train's filling the temple, and there's smoke in there, and the post of the door began to move. The Bible says, Isaiah changes his tune. God's about to call. And he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, listen to this, have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what I'm going to pray for you, Jay? 
I'm going to pray for you when you jump up and start hitting them licks on that guitar. And I, I saw it today. I'm going to pray they, see, they look right past, past you and see Jesus. Your little wife, does she smile all the time? I want to know that right now. <clears throat> That's the happiest one woman. She's just happy in the life. Boy, I hate going to church sometimes, people singing victory in Jesus and look like they're just as miserable as anything in the world. But I want them to see. And when Pastor Robert stands up to preach, would you pray this way, church? May the people see God, the glory of God, the presence of God. Oh, listen, in this moment, I want you to notice what happens next. One of the seraphim, one, then one of the seraphims, uh, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, uh, with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth. Now remember, he's about to call him. That's significant. And said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, and my, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord. Now not only has he seen God, he's hearing him now. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? I heard an old boy say this the other day in the conference I was in in a different faith tradition. He said Isaiah was so close to God that he got in on a conversation that the Trinity was happy, having. Woo, when, have you get, when have you in prayer been so near to God that you could hear? He heard them say, whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? And then right out of the blue, he busted it out. Look at the last part of verse Eight. Then said I, here am I, Lord, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. This was not an encouraging word right here, Bill. He said, I want you to go, but they're not going to hear you. Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. He said, how long am I going to do this, Lord? You just keep on doing it, keep on doing it, keep on doing it. I'm paraphrasing. Let me talk about the call of God for a minute, whether he's calling you this morning to himself. He probably is. Somebody that's not saved, he's calling you to, to him, to come to him in faith. So if he decides to come this afternoon, you get to go to heaven with all of us. Because Jesus died on the cross for you. He shed his blood on the cross. He paid sin's debt. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't hardly have to preach the gospel. Old Bill's been preaching it this morning pretty good. So listen to me. Regarding the call of God to salvation or to general service or to, or to specific ministry service, number one, it begins as a sovereign act of God. God is alive and at work and active in your life and in my life. And He knows what He wants. He knows you inside and out. He knows, every day. He knows what you've been through. He knows the pain you've felt. He knows the joy you've experienced. He knows everything about you. He knew everything about Isaiah. You say, well, Isaiah must have been a pretty awesome man. Uh-uh. <clears throat> he was a mess. I loved hearing Bill say, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm a depraved. I'm a saved sinner. But I'm still a mess. It begins as a sovereign act of God. We see that in verse 8. The Lord speaks. Number two, it's usually met with some apprehension or some opposition. You remember when he said, Woe is me. I can't do this. I see the Lord. I know he needs some people to serve him and follow him. And somebody might be thinking this morning, I know he wants me to be saved, but, he, but I'm, a, I, I'm still in my sin. I've got this going on or that. <clears throat> you know what? When God begins to call, the devil will come quickly, or your flesh will come with some kind of apprehension or, 
or some reason why you can't do it. Won't you quit telling God what He can't do? And you quit making excuses for what He can't do. I mean, you're looking at a man that is quite ignorant. I heard a man testify one time in a camp meeting. He was being honest. as He wasn't trying to be funny. But he said, I'm an ignorant man. I'm getting ignoranter and ignoranter all the time. He said those words right there. Now, I don't know that I'd go that far, but I know this. I have nothing to offer except Jesus. I have nothing to offer except the presence of God. And if I didn't get in the glory this morning in prayer and in the fellowship with God before it was time to stand up, I'd have nothing to offer to you. So don't be, don't, don't be questioning what God is doing. And then finally, it not only begins as a sovereign act of God, it's, it not only is usually met with some apprehension and opposition, but number three, it's followed by a strong desire and a bunch of other things that start with an S. I preach some camps, and when I go to these camps, we go to some of the same ones. They'll, there'll be a young man or a young woman come up, and they'll say, Pastor Tom, how do you know when God is calling you? And I wrote it on the inside of my, cuff of my Bible so I wouldn't forget. And here's what I tell them. And I want you to listen because you say, well, I, I am a, um, I'm not a preacher. That's okay. A lot of people God called wasn't preachers. And he turned him into something great as it comes to a witness or whatever else. Look here. Do you remember that little woman at Salt Trail Church? You pointed her out to me one time. You said, that lady right there don't have hardly anything. And she's retired now living on Social Security. And she works a job called by God so she can give the money she makes to missions and support missionaries to take the gospel all over the world. That woman was as called of God as I am standing here in this pulpit right now. I've never forgot that as long as I live. I hope I never do. What if God's calling you to a, to a community, to your neighborhood, to host a little gathering, to invite your neighbors in and feed them a little something? And share Jesus with him. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, how do you know when God's calling? Number one, you ask strategic questions like that one right there. Anytime anybody comes up and asks, I say, well, you ask questions like that right there. Anybody that asks me, how do you know if God's calling you? Usually God's calling you. Number two, a strong desire that you can't get away from. John R. Rice said, if a strong desire is not the call of God, I've never been called by God. You can't get away from it. You run from it. Go become a logistics guy, have crews answering to you and all that. You're a big shot with some of them, but that didn't mean anything to you. It didn't matter how good you could hit the baseball or anything else. There was always this hole in your heart that only the call of God and responding to it would cause you to have joy. Boy, that's pretty awesome. Number three, this is a biggie. Scripture confirmation. You see, your feelings change. The Word of God never changes. Remember when I gave you mine? Uh, Acts 26, 16. You know how many times I've ever... <clears throat> I don't talk to the devil, by the way. Uh, but when he comes and questions me, I just throw the Scripture on him. I say, Lord, tell him about that day when you gave me that truth. Scripture confirmation. Then finally, you'll have the spiritual gifts that accompany it. Remember about the, the tongs? The seraphim took the coal, the live coal off the altar, put it on there. You see how I know God called you to music is he gave you gifts, Brick. Gave you a wife that could play the piano and make you look good too. But watch this. Watch this. Amy, you know how come I, I know God called you to administration? It's because of the way God used you in these churches all in those kind of areas to help mobilize for God's glory. All I'm telling you is when it comes down to that last one, if you say God's called you to sing and you can't carry a note in a bucket, God never called you to sing. 
He might be calling you, but it's not to sing. If God called you to teach, He'll give you the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift Bill possesses, but He does. You know what will happen afterwards? I'm closing. I'm closing. Sweet peace will accompany it. You know what Colossians says? <clears throat> let the peace of God, let it, let the peace of God rule in your heart. I wonder what God's calling somebody to today. I don't know. But I know it's going to be great if you say yes. Grandma, what's God calling you to? Mama, daddy, young family, sir, ma'am. What's God calling you to? I saw a book the other day. The, the, uh, the title was The God Ask. The God Ask. God may be asking more of all of us than just Bill today and Amy. What will be your response? The Lord just asked you to leave North Carolina and come to the state of Florida. The Lord just asked us to step away from pastorates that other people would have cut off an arm for to have those churches and be a wandering prophet now all over the country not know where we're going to be next. What if God asked you to take your child and give him or her to him? This morning at the hotel, I almost got knocked down at the, uh, at the breakfast place by people with their kids and their sports outfits heading off to play. The majority of those kids will never play college ball. They'll never play professional sports. But they're being taught by their parents that these things are crucial. Nothing wrong with sports. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's an idol. What if God says to you, I want you to give your kids to me? You say, well, they don't want to right now. Well, it don't matter what they want. If the Lord tells me to present my children to them, which he has, and I did, I give them to him. And then he's the one that takes care of conforming them to what he's calling them to do.